Okay. So today we're going to talk about the myth of the yoga body, the myth and legend of the perfect yoga body. <laughs> so it's a conversation about um, yoga and body image, and I think it's been a more of a hot topic over the last couple of years. I remember getting onto a Facebook thread about the about this issue. I saw some articles um, on Facebook about body image and yoga. And, you know, we obviously both think it's a really important topic on many levels. Um, love to hear your thoughts on it. If you want to jump in. Yeah, so I think for me, one of the big things is that there, there's this image of the, of the perfect um, aesthetic in yoga of a person who is very, you know, thin, has a perfect kind of physique, athletic physique, and is ultra... Um, flexible and and super athletic um, and so this is this imagery is propagated throughout the yoga world and it's in all the yoga magazines we see it in all of the yoga photos we see sort of reaching the top of, top of the list in terms of um, hits is this kind of um, homogenized version of, of a human of a human physique mm -hmm. and um, Yogi, yoga clothing companies sort of use that imagery in their marketing. Right. You know, if you look at the back of Yoga Journal, that cover of Yoga Journal, you'll find a particular clothing company almost every month has, <laughs> you know, the back cover ad. And uh, the unnamed yoga The unnamed company. yoga uh, clothing company who always has cute girls with nice butts and nice triceps. And although there's nothing wrong with that, everybody appreciates okay. a beautiful <laughs> physique. Um, it it begins to create this kind of impossible, you know, ideal mm -hmm. for, for our cultivation of an internal practice that does, of right. course, involve the, the body, body and, mm -hmm. and can develop a beautiful physique, you know, but it, um, it creates a, an externalized focus on generating a particular look of the body through the practice of yoga, right. which moves us away from the internal felt experience of yeah. developing wellness and, and health at its very minimum and at, at its maximum might produce a kind of pathological addiction mm -hmm. to physical perfection right. and seeing, you know, let's face it, most of the models who are modeling yoga clothes, by the time we see those ads in magazines, mm -hmm. they're photoshopped, airbrushed, you know, right. just like every other model from, from, yeah. from the modeling world. So yeah. I think it's a topic that we really need to talk about. I know I've talked with yoga students who feel uncomfortable in certain yoga classes where there's mm -hmm. a high turnout of really athletic people. Mm -hmm. If that person's a little bit heavier, that person, you know, has some kind of body image, Mm -hmm. um, struggle mm -hmm. that they're working with, it can be exacerbated mm -hmm. by, by mm -hmm. engagement with the yoga world. And that right. just breaks my heart. So yeah. I feel like this conversation is happening in the yoga world. We need more people talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, um, I think the, the central issue is the externalized focus of a physical yoga practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and how that can actually lead to new types of illnesses, whether they're mental or physical, mm -hmm. um, from a system that has, you know, been developed to help us heal and find right. more freedom. Right. Yeah, it's just unfortunate, right, in a way. Like, I think we had talked about it in our first talk, um, What the Fuck is Yoga? <laughs> in that one, where very easily when we adapt yoga into cultures, there's this tendency to maybe lose the essence or... To kind of get sidetracked away from what yoga has to offer as a very rich system and in our culture because we live in this very capitalistic culture where media and imagery and sex has been utilized extensively to market products that by default we bring yoga into this culture and we start to sort of inevitably make yoga into a business into another thing to market we slap on the this, the sexual imagery and the sort of provocative, you know, aesthetic 
physically oriented aesthetic onto yoga and then all the focus kind of ends up going there right mm -hmm. you walk into a yoga class and regardless of the the context that's been presented in the class itself there's always this subtext of like oh do i look okay do i have the right clothes on it's like mm -hmm. it kind of brings out some of the the, the most um narcissistic narcissistic so yeah and, and and wounded parts of us right where we felt left out or like we didn't we feel like we didn't we weren't good enough and it, and it ties it into the way we look right our bodies right right and it's sort of it's unfortunate it's it's kind of interesting because people might walk into yoga because of that because of their body image issues right like a lot of people actually probably enter yoga because they want to look better or feel better in their body right have a different relationship to their body and that's beautiful that it brings them there and at the same time the yoga classes and our yoga in the west could be perpetuating people's self-image issues mm -hmm. bringing them up making it more difficult for them to just simply accept or love their bodies right because things like yoga journal and all these ads we see we don't see a diverse body represented right i mean it's unfortunate because on one end like i understand right i understand marketing and business and money and what's necessary and you know even yoga centers right like people need to survive systems need to be able to survive financially to be viable right. that being said it's really unfortunate that you know for example a yoga magazine that if we, if it represents yoga and, and the philosophy of yoga of non-harming and kindness and virtue Jeez. and non-attachment and like sort of becoming you know integrating a humanness but also developing a capacity to sort of move beyond it or rise above it in certain aspects, right? To be able to embody higher virtue. And so that being sort of the intention, it's unfortunate that then, say like a magazine or any sort of thing associated with yoga being obsessed now, becoming sort of hijacked by image and sexuality and just those things, like an obsession with that, right? So much so that it, it becomes less accessible for just anyone. So much so that when people walk into class, the first thing they think, you know, is like, oh, I'm not good enough. Or I don't have the right pants on or the right brand of pants on. Or like, I don't look right. I'm not flexible enough, right? All these things, even for guys, right? Right. Well, speaking of which, does my ass look cute in these Lulus? <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have gotten the other ones. Oh, really? Yeah, the gray ones look the better tighter on your ass. Yeah, thanks, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I was feeling self-conscious about that. It's okay. I'm glad you asked because I was, I was going to tell you. <laughs> so you're looking at my ass. <laughs> I mean, as you know, probably I shouldn't poke fun at that, but it's like it's a real thing, right? It's like it's a real it's a real mental pattern that happens for people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I think what's been highlighted in the media and what's been highlighted in in the yoga world, people speaking out is is sort of body shaming toward women. Mm -hmm. But I I've met when I taught in gyms in Arizona, I talked with a lot of guys who felt very similar, very similar mind stream, right? Like right. they were like, either I'm not flexible enough or I'm not buff enough. Like right. I'm not like muscly right. enough to go to that class and feel like I'm on mm -hmm. par with all the with all the yoga dudes who are already, mm -hmm. you know, into it or gym rats if they're a little bit overweight or just less muscular or whatever they felt yeah. self-conscious and they also another thing it hasn't seemed like it's as popular where we, where we are now in the bay area but in that era of teaching yoga all the guys who were coming to yoga regularly would do their whole practice with their shirt off mm. and it, it was fine it was like in a sense liberating to kind of to kind of take that off and just sweat onto your mat and do that but I noticed it started to create a sense of discomfort when guys would come to the class mm. and they didn't look, you know, as good as those other guys who were, <laughs> right, you know, right. who were regulars at the gym and regulars at the yoga class. And it started right. to create this kind of like, if you were a little bit overweight or whatever, that you weren't like, you didn't have a yoga body. <laughs> and also, furthermore, mm. there was, you know, and then we can't avoid this aspect. It's going to happen because it's part of humanity. But the yoga class was also a place to attract a mate, a potential mate. So in a sense, mm -hmm. people wanted to look their best. Right. And so it's, it's like, you know, we're managing all of these things. We're managing our human yeah. nature aspect, which we're a herd animal. And we do think about what others think about us. Mm -hmm. Then we have the financial aspect that institutions and businesses that are involved in the teaching of yoga, the propagating of yoga products, yeah. they have to sell to what the market demands. Right. 
And, and then we have all of us as yoga practitioners of, of actual sensitive, you know, emotional human beings <laughs> who are involved in this whole, this whole milieu nice, of yeah. yoga and how that affects us psychologically and physiologically. Right. Um, there are a lot of disparate values and right. disparate needs. Right. For me as a yoga teacher, I ultimately care about the student's experience mm. and that they walk away from a yoga class or yoga workshop or an engagement with a yoga magazine or a yoga product right. feeling a lighter sense, of a, a decreased sense of self-judgment, mm-hmm. a decreased sense of the social kind of shaming and, and insecurities that that are very easy to 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 engage in when you when you look at all of the marketing and sort of how we've been blasted with this idea to to feel that yoga can alleviate some of that in the student Mm -hmm. and make them feel comfortable is really high on my priority list i don't really care how far someone's heels come down and downward facing dog or something Opening the body can help increase the health and radiance of the body and, and calm the mind and things. But, but when people strive for the yoga body as a as an ultra flexible body, mm-hmm. that that image can also be a harmful image. Yeah. For for people in their practice, because right. now they're not paying attention to the signals of the felt body experience, mm-hmm. because everyone else is doing Hanumanasana full splits, and the person wants to match everyone else, you know, right. and so they tear a, you know, hamstring or hip flexor by pushing right. their body. Yeah. So I've seen that injure many people. And to me, that's right. another, that's another aspect of the myth of the yoga body, right? It's right. just like, is this super flexible? Flexible is better. Flexible is better. Yeah. Know, extreme flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, years ago, I remember I was at a couple workshops at different like yoga journal conference and also another one um, up north. That was a yoga therapy work uh, sort of um, conference. I remember taking class with Bukunda Styles, Gary Crafts, Judith Lasseter, and all three of them, at different points, I think, made comments about hypermobility, and how <laughs> one guy was like, "Oh, I make a lot of money from yoga teachers because they injure each other going to each other's classes, giving these harsh adjustments, and they come messed up, and I fix them." And I make a lot of money. And it was just, he was, he was saying it primarily to sort of point out that, hey, look at what you guys are doing. You know, you're injuring each other in the practice. And I remember one other teacher got upset and was yelling at us because we raised our hands. He's like, how many people in this room? That was Makunda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's awesome. I love him. Like, no, yeah, I had so, the same conversation yeah, with him. Yeah, he, so he, Mukunda, he's really mad about that. Yeah, he passed away already. He was, but he was a great teacher. And he, he basically was like, how many people in this room are yoga teachers? We raise our hand. It's like majority of the room. He's like, how many people in this room have pain in their body? And majority of people raise their hands. He's like, yeah, that's not okay. He's like, this is why it's happening. And he's just like, people are overstretching and pushing each other into the posture forcefully with adjustments right. and hurting each other. And he's like, when I walk into a room and when there's actually more beginners, there's actually less people with pain. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that in a room full of yoga teachers, there's more physical pain. There's something wrong there. And, right. and that really stuck with me. I was like, wow, good point. So what's the focus? And as a result, over the years, for me personally, I, I backed off more and more from harsh practices and pushing my body too much and trying to attain the, the shape. Because, I mean, that's the other thing, right? From a yoga teacher and in terms of body image, it's like we can sometimes get it worse, right? As yoga teachers, like female, male yoga teachers, both. Like we feel the pressure of being a teacher, as yoga teachers. So for me, it's like there, I remember years ago where I was like, I have to look a certain way. I have to be able to do these poses better Mm -hmm. than my students. To model the perfect pose. Yeah. Yeah. So then I have to sort of visually become, you know, accomplished yoga body. Yeah. In these particular postures. And there's a lot of pressure around that. I imagine like, I don't do that to myself as much anymore. I'm like, Oh, whatever. Not a big deal. It's not my focus. So other teachers can do that, but it's not really my thing anymore. But I imagine there's a lot of teachers now that are teaching that feel that pressure. And then, you know, and then it ties into, oh, you know, I better sort of keep up with my practice or else I'll lose students. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these other push my body further. I mean, I, I at the very end of teacher training programs, every single program I taught teacher training, at the end of the program, there's a course on business and a course on conduct. And, mm-hmm. 
And one of the big issues people would always have toward the end of the course, they're getting ready to graduate and get mm -hmm. their certificate, mm -hmm. is, is I can't do all of the poses perfectly. Right. And there would be numerous people who would have a really hard time. They would say, yeah. I can't teach until I can do all the poses perfectly. And of course, I would tell them that's, that's a total misnomer. It's, you know, that doesn't matter at mm -hmm. all. It matters how sensitive you are and how well you understand the dynamics of the poses and the alignment and how you can read bodies. And, and you might be miles behind many of your students physically in terms of your flexibility or your development in the physical expression of, quote, the perfect pose. Right. But that by no means disqualifies you from being a yoga teacher. But right. it, it was a really big hurdle for, for a yeah. lot of people. And I get it. I mean, when you're standing in front of 30 people and they're all asking you mm -hmm. to demonstrate mm -hmm. the perfect pose and numerous people in the class are way more flexible than you. Right. And the uninformed ideal is having, you know, ultra flexible shoulders right. or having, you know, whatever to be able to go into really, really deep backbends or have really open hips. Mm -hmm. Some people after 30 years of yoga are not going to have joints that are that open right so on the level of injury prevention on the level of cultivation of of decreased amount of unnecessary physical and emotional pain <laughs> and on the level of just feeling okay in our bodies the way they look aside from function just in terms of like looking at ourselves right. after we get out of the shower right i feel that yoga has a long way to go to be a comprehensive system of self-cultivation, of personal development mm -hmm. that can deliver health propagating and body positive and nice. life positive teachings on all of those levels yeah. on a global scale. Right, right. now we're right. floundering in terms yeah. of what I see in the mass market of yeah. yoga because all of those things that... Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a lot more awareness about injury after Yoga Body came out mm -hmm. and after the mm -hmm. New York Times article came out and all that. There's been a nice, lot more yeah. conversation mm -hmm. about how forcing the body into extreme ranges of motion can produce injury. So this conversation about yoga and injuries is on the table. It needs a lot more talk and we need yeah. to get a lot more specific about how and why people get injured. Right. And the body image thing is on the table. But we need to go deeper and deeper into it. It needs to be a part of the conversation in yoga teacher training. It needs to be a part mm -hmm. of the conversation in, in sort of the, the marketplace of yoga so that people aren't, they don't come to it misinformed. Right, right. right. Exactly. And, and I, like you said mm -hmm. earlier, it's as yoga teachers, I mean, this is a call out to yoga teachers. Let's all take the risk. Mm -hmm. right of bringing that awareness to our classes right yeah. you don't have to embody this sort of perfect ideal of the yoga teacher or the yogi to be natural to be yourself to mm -hmm. you know like we were talking off recording it's like yoga teachers also catch colds right there's nothing wrong with that but like right, sometimes right. you have snot coming out your nose and you actually need to stay stay home you know or right or let people know that you're, right. you know, you're not well. <laughs> right, right. And then the, I was like, oh, yeah, but then, you know, we're freaking poor because we're yoga teachers. So we force ourselves to go teach a class. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just coughing like every three seconds. So, and then you go teach your yoga class because, you know, you need to make that $30, $75 to pay your freaking bills, you know, and then, and then you feel horribly guilty or there's something wrong with you because you're sick and you, you want, you feel kind of embarrassed, right? It's like, instead of feeling natural, like, Oh yeah, I guess sick. it's like, at least for me, I've gone through times where I'm like, wow, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to be this and put a lot of pressure on myself. And the immortal, yeah. never unhappy, never unwell image of the yoga <laughs> teacher is definitely an unreasonable expectation. Right. And not that even the students probably even expect that, you know, but we put that, I think, I feel like I've seen a lot of yoga teachers, myself included, put, put that pressure on ourselves. And I mean, we were talking yeah. about it at lunch, like in terms of emotional health, like mm -hmm. how important it is to feel free to, to have all full spectrum of emotional experience, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. within the image of the yoga body, I imagine, you know, that, that image is always like somebody who looks like they're uber hap happy, you know, like they're, right. they're not only like purely radiant vivacious and virile but they're emotionally like ultra happy and always, and always happy right? <laughs> right and so it sets up this idea of the yoga emotional body as being like perfectly even keeled so that the person mm -hmm. is sort of um never 
under the spell of negativity or sort yeah. of quote unquote negative emotions. And I, right. and I think it's a crock of shit. I think this, <laughs> this sets up an impossible idea mm-hmm. where people, nobody can match that idea. Nobody mm-hmm. can be happy all of the time. It's happiness is a changing emotional state. Right. And so it comes and goes. You're not happy when your dog Anisha. dies. Right. You <laughs> can be, you right. can be yeah. accepting, you can be radiantly awake with your, mm-hmm. with your sadness, but the emotional state of happiness is a, is a changeable phenomenon. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So propagating that idea that that is a, that that's an advantageous thing to shoot yeah. for and that it's a possible state to maintain, mm-hmm. I think falls into this big soup of, of, mm-hmm. the, of the myth of the yoga right, body, right? right and right. so I, I think that to give, to give room for yoga to work needs to be that the, that the very ground of the practice is total acceptance and acknowledgement of the situation mm-hmm. we find ourselves in. And in mm-hmm. our absolute most mm-hmm. raw human state right and if cultivation happens and somebody loses weight or becomes more flexible and more well then that's great but if that ends up being the focus Focus, then the methods that that are employed yogically end up having different ends or different results than they might otherwise if it were approached with a more holistic and accepting intent yeah and intent so yeah i think that um that back backtracking and re taking a look at the original you know parameters of the old systems of yoga looking at things like truthfulness and non-harming and compassion if we apply those things to the modern yoga movement in a real Mm -hmm. tangible way Mm -hmm. i think those safeguard us from from making those mistakes like is it are we practicing ahimsa when we practice body shaming ourselves for not looking like yeah. the cover of yoga journal. Well, I like what you said earlier in terms of how when you when you teach your intention is to help people have a healing sort of like a healing experience or something like that, right? When you said that earlier, like you want people to have an experience that doesn't exasperate their body image issue. Like there's a sense of care there around helping them suffer less. And the and then sort of the depth of insight around oh it's gonna because suffering happens not just on a physical level but an emotional psychological level and i think that's important to to remember as yoga teachers and i to the credit of a lot of yoga teachers i think when i actually talk to a lot of yoga teachers i feel like a lot of yoga teachers i know feel the same way and i think they do their best to make it a more comfortable and healthy environment you know for people to be as they are and to accept themselves, to feel like they can't accept themselves. And so I think it's happening more so. There's probably, like you said, more of a propensity in the, the popular culture and the media that portrays yoga to sort of, you know, run the whole overly sexualized, overly sort of photoshopped, perfected image for marketing purposes. And then I think it does heavily influence a lot of people regardless, and especially the people who are coming into yoga brand new. You know, like I agree with that. I think that population gets really affected by that. And then sort of yoga teachers have this job of like reverse engineering or like reverse sort of programming the students, you know, out of that, which is sort of cumbersome, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And it takes a little time and yeah. And people could come into yoga classes and for a long time be stuck in that loop, right? Being obsessed with the body. And that's, that's definitely unfortunate. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really tricky because yeah, I think there are teachers who do that, but there are, there are, there is a large body of the yoga world that Mm -hmm. is, is in the main stream of that and needs to uphold that particular you right, know, that particular image, mm-hmm. and so it's in a sense it's like there's a there's a struggle there. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to understand what goes on in the mind stream before yoga students even arrive at a yoga class. Uh-huh. That there's a whole realm of of constructed expectations and beliefs and biases and desires mm-hmm. and images mm-hmm. that 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 go into the mind. Right. And if we're practicing self-observation, we can look at our own mind stream and we can observe 
observe that. Where is the desire coming from? Where are those thoughts coming from? But if we're not actively practicing self-observation, right? what happens is that all of that imagery, if you just flip through every single page of a popular yoga magazine, mm -hmm. all of that imagery enters into the subconscious, mm -hmm. right? And if you scroll through the, you know, hashtag yoga, right. uh, you know, at Twitter or Facebook or whatever, the imagery you're going to see enters into the subconscious and it creates a sense of understanding of what yoga is, of what yoga way. is and mm -hmm. what, what I am and what I'm bringing right. to the mat right. and what right. I should right. be and all of that. Mm -hmm. And even though the instructions of the teacher might be contradicting that, um, if that's not addressed, yeah. then it's operative still. And so mm -hmm. this is where the realm of, of the unacknowledged assumptions have more power than the word that's spoken by the teacher. Mm. The word that's mm -hmm. spoken by the teacher, you know, where they say something like, okay, here we're going to go into whatever cobra pose. And if you just want to keep your ribs on on the mat that's fine <laughs> if you want to go all the way up to your navel is coming off the mat that's fine right. you know wherever you need to be honor your body so so they're saying that language that, that in real time gives people permission not to push right but there's so much else happening subtext yeah totally. subtext mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that has a greater effect because it's, it's not acknowledged and right. so I make the invitation all the time in, in not so much in a movement class, but in a, in a class on yoga philosophy or a meditative philosophy or the contemplative side of yoga right. for all of us practitioners to look at our mind stream and to just play the game of asking ourselves, where did I get right. that information from? Do I believe that? Is that true? Right. What's, what's behind my desire? Right. What am I going for? What's my impetus? Yeah. And so we can drag out some yeah. of the stuff that's underneath the surface. Yeah. So again, it comes back to what we had talked about again in the past talk, where it's like the lack of integration of yoga philosophy also contributes to this whole problem too. Because when it is just confined in the realm of physicality of the practice, considering our cultural conditioning, it's inevitable that it goes where it goes, right? Becoming body obsessed. It's all about body sculpting. And, and, but if you spend some time studying yoga philosophy and if teachers speak about it more and it becomes more and more part of the culture, we start to self-reflect, right? We also realize that one of the, some of the fundamental teachings of yoga, well, things are not permanent or things are impermanent. You're, you're going to age. The body is impermanent and putting all your, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket of the body looking this way forever. Right. As is your means probably, of happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the best investment, you know. Not, right. And just to be fair, it's like, yeah, we do also have a body and it's nice to take care of it. And if you can make it look good, whatever, for as long as you can, that's great too. But then don't get into the illusion that that's all yoga is, number one. And number two, that that's going to give you everlasting contentment and happiness. That, that has... That's not it, you right. know? If anything, it, it, like, it would be, for me, ideal to see students come into the practice and sure, take care of your body, make it beautiful, cultivate it, but also remember every day. Like when I go to Shavasana, like sometimes I'll tell my students, you know, <laughs> your body is, yeah, corpse, so your body's gonna die, dude. Yeah. It's gonna be gone. Don't, don't get too caught up in it. Like, yeah, take care of it for sure. And also let it go. You know, because it'll it'll free you up a little bit more in your mind too. Right. And I mean, you know, this is where yeah. I think that like there needs to be a constantly a teaching that cuts through the mm -hmm. narcissistic tendency that we have. Right. Well, and that's the essence of yoga too, right? The teaching of yoga is that to do that. Right. Yeah. It's just how to how to actively do that in a tangible way that bears fruit mm -hmm. within our current society. It's super subtle because right. we're operating within this this system that so subtly perpetuates that narcissistic tendency. If we don't check ourselves, it's really difficult to see that we're in it. And especially as people yeah. start practicing yoga, it's easy to take on the, the stylistic aesthetic of being spiritual and think yeah. that we've all risen above the narcissistic right. tendency, but, but that can be its own narcissism. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, of course we want to feel good. We want to look good. And there's nothing wrong with those as an impetus to get down to the studio and do a good practice. Right. But like you said, if if we think that that is going to actually give us what our what our heart is desiring, mm -hmm. then we're always falling short, which actually produces a narcissistic cycle. 
mm. because we're right, constantly right. seeking more perfection, more perfection, yeah. or we're getting more um, fussy about our looks or more fussy about our poses. I mean, right, right, when right. I go, to, when I've done the, the sort of circuit of doing conference teaching, I've seen a level of physical fussiness in yoga teachers that is like a hundred times more, you know, uh, egotistical and obsessed, obsessed than, than yeah. the average person, you know, if their shoulders don't feel perfectly relaxed, you know, constantly worrying about their alignment, constantly aches and pains. Mm -hmm. It's like becoming mm -hmm. body fixated, right? More trapped in the body, more trapped in less the body. obsessed and more free. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Which I mean, is sort of the intention of yoga. And yeah. then there's on the other side, maybe mm -hmm. before they became mindful of their body, they were checked out of their body. So they weren't right. feeling all of those sensations. So yeah. I get it. The more, yeah somatically aware you become the more aware you are of tensions you hold but if you if you're yeah. constantly trying to get and, and i think this is where it's happening unconsciously people are trying to create a constant sense of having a, a pleasurable experience in their body and hold on to it and and, and yeah. a state of unchanging health yeah. and a stage of unchanging youth right and that isn't possible based on the law of change mm -hmm. it's not going to happen we can't mm -hmm. always feel the lack of any discomfort in the physical body. Yeah, it denies the laws yeah. of, of, of nature. Well, I feel like it's, again, this is maybe even a cultural thing too. Like it was brought to my attention. I mean, it's not so much of my culture. I'm Japanese, you know, like I grew up with other types of memes that introduced death to me pretty clearly impermanence. Like it's just because Japanese culture is so inherently Shinto and Buddhist heavily, you know, infiltrated by those, you know, cultural views Guys, yeah so but in the u.s i think there is this sort of knight in shining armor princess and the fantasy and the fairy tale where it's happily ever after and you never see a rotting corpse no yeah one wants to talk about death. exactly like if, for example and you go to india people. you can't deny that right? right it's like there's people who are really messed up or like there's corpses burning you know down the street kind of thing so it's like you see reality as it is but in this culture not so much we hide yeah. the quote ugly aspects of life mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. true and you never see those things in a movie or on a, in advertising they're they're, right. they're void from from the social you know di yeah. visual yeah. dialogue i mean so i mean one thing i think yoga teachers could do is to like i mean i, I try to do it is just to bring cadavers to class <laughs> <laughs> You know, just shake the boat, like rock the boat a little bit, you yeah. know, and be like, yo, like get real because it's actually really helpful because when you get real, you know, I feel like that's the essence of the Buddha's teachings too, you know, be because he, he gives teachings on the, the essence of reality. And once you come to terms with the reality, which can be really painful and difficult, but when you do and you can, you can get with reality, things do get easier in a sense. Like there's some surrender and acceptance that opens up. And it, it keeps you, it prevents you from like kind of rolling mentally and emotionally into these sort of uh, little binds, downward spirals, you know, um, around trying to hold on to pleasurable experiences or like just knowing that, okay, that's not going to be possible. You're going to drive yourself mad doing it. So stop it, you know, and just getting that teaching could be really valuable because there's probably a lot of people and I've been there. I've been at that phase in my practice where I thought I could be in a state of bliss all the time. And I did pursue that. And I did realize it's probably not possible, like on a mundane level. Mm -hmm. And then actually when I let go of that, I just experienced way more ease and more peace actually. Right. Right. So there's definitely, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all, it's like, they're all different faces of the same thing. There's the physical yoga body myth. There's the emotional uh -huh. yoga body myth. There's the spiritual yoga body myth, whether we're calling it a physical body or an emotional body or a spiritual body or a mm -hmm. mental body. The notion that there's an idyllic state that can be achieved and maintained indefinitely, it's a fallacy mm -hmm. based on the law of change. It just isn't, it isn't possible. To maintain some sense of open, accepting awareness, definitely, but that has to include changing emotional states. Right. And so I think it's really, really important to have view teachings around that because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think that gets really confused. People often think that the sort of the objective is to get this sort of Anamaya Kosha, you know, to Anandamaya Kosha, mm -hmm. you know, quantum leap, right? To get into this like body of bliss and to, to, to be in that place right. all the time. I think that, that we have to distinguish the difference between our open awareness and our changing states of emotion, right. thoughts, 
and really get clear about when we do catch ourselves in one of those mm-hmm. of those loops of trying to secure the desirable and then not achieving it and thinking that we're we're somehow missing the yoga train that mm-hmm. that's actually not that's actually not true mm-hmm. that means we're actually engaging with the content of our experience and we're actually doing the yogic process perhaps more skillfully than when we were not aware of that and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like we said earlier I mean, to use the the saying in Zen, it's like when when we really actually get traction on the path, usually the first flavor that we get is bitterness, right? Mm -hmm. The medicine initially, when we have that kind of awakening and we see ourselves really clearly, gosh, I've been pursuing an impossible ideal. And and we see that it's it's painful to let that go Mm -hmm. because what happens when we let that go is we then see our imperfections. We see ourselves and experience ourselves in a much more visceral and vivid and honest way. Right. And in a sense, something in us dies in that moment. Mm-hmm. The one that was seeking, you know, the, yeah. the perfection yeah. dies. And yeah. that, that hurts. Yeah, totally. And, and then we feel everything that much more. Mm-hmm. And it, in a sense, it's more vivid means we feel the pain of it and the pleasure mm-hmm. of it even more. Mm-hmm. But to have that kind of break mm-hmm. as a yogi on, on the path, to have that kind of break with the illusion, the yoga illusion, right. I think is a really important Mm-hmm. phase and 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 i mean you've talked about your experience i've talked about my experience of having that to kind of mark those moments when we when disillusionment occurs right and to go wow i was really i remember distinct moments when that happened when i, mm-hmm. I was looking in yoga journal one time years ago and i mean it seems like a no dumb moment but in that moment i had the visceral experience of feeling how the experience that's being portrayed in this article in this photo shoot is totally contrived. Mm-hmm. It was shot and and edited to to create a certain um, belief and a certain type of experience in the viewer. Right. And there's no reality in that at right. all. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. the person, the model, might be having a really shitty day, but that's not what comes across, <laughs> you know, in in right, the imagery. Right, right, right. And that 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 the whole thing is essentially a lie. Right. Like right. there's, there's our real life and our yeah. real experiences mm-hmm. and it's never matching what's being sold in, in the story of what yoga promises in its sort of mass media, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. expression. Yeah. And I think that it's just, of course that's true in all things that are marketed, but to see that yoga fell into exactly the same conundrum right. in, in the mass marketing of yoga, so fortunate, you know? it's, it's a big elephant in the room mm-hmm. and we're all subject to it. I mean, I find myself desiring material objects that I probably don't need because of the effect of marketing and how it flows through my subconscious. Mm-hmm. Then I need to check that desire. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said earlier about self-reflection, you know, and I think that's sort of the, the holy grail, right? Or like not the holy grail, but like the saving grace, I think, in this particular situation. And it's what I think yoga is. So it's, it's a cornerstone of yoga practice is to reflect on who we are, why we do, like, who are we, right? And on a more uh, superficial level, even just like, where are we at right now? What's our experience? Why are things happening the way they are? And just becoming reflective of this whole issue about body image obsession. I mean, it's, a, it's like a no-brainer. If you're becoming a yogi and you're questioning reality, and you're contemplating your nature, right, as yogis do, you would the first thing you would do is sort of look directly at your conditioning in terms of how society has conditioned you, and to question those things and challenge those things. It's so hard to see. Maybe mm-hmm. we can tease that out a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. how can people do that? I mean, I, I have my ideas about it, but like, how? Give a couple examples mm-hmm. of like how can we tease out our conditioning and see, in a sense, the lens we're seeing through. Like, how could someone go to a yoga class? and see their body image stuff coming up for them Uh in the practice, like in real time. Right. I mean, I think for me, at least, I made it a practice to meditate, right, in conjunction with my yoga practice. Mm. So eventually the physical yoga practice and the meditation fuses, and I'm in my yoga practice and I'm watching my body sensations, I'm watching my feelings. I'm also looking at my thoughts and what's coming up mentally. And when they arise instead of immediately buying into what they're saying, I take a step back and I question them. I'm like, where's that from? Why is that there? Mm -hmm. That's interesting, especially when I get into really aversive states of mind, Mm. you know? I really try to notice that. I'm like, ooh, what's that about? 
And then if we do that, I think we would just organically over time kind of get to the root of the issue, right? In a sense that being continuing to just be obsessed with the way we look and the body image is a distraction. And that there's actually something underlying that. There's something perpetuating that. I mean, as you get through the layers, you might find other emotions underneath the aversion. Because sometimes for me, okay, I'll be in a posture. I don't like the way my body feels. Okay, aversion, I notice it. It doesn't feel good. Okay, now I'm using the posture to try to change my experience. What is it like when I don't change it? What's there? Oh, there's anxiety. Oh, there's fear. What's connected to that fear? I feel the fear. Oh, there's a thought that if I don't change that, I won't be okay. Or there's something inherently wrong with me. Ooh, that's intense. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of the process I go through. Yeah. And I think once I you... I mean, that's a lot of... That's a lot of... Um, contemplative potency to bring to an awesome practice. And I think that's awesome. I, I think less of that happens in most yoga classes around the world than, than I think either of us would prefer to see. Sure. Um, I think it's challenging to, to get people into poses safely and then stay long enough to dive into that contemplation. I mean, what, what I have always found myself doing teaching and, and encouraged my teachers to do is to slow down and do less poses in a class sure, and make them more simple mm-hmm. so that it's easier to get people into the shapes and the forms and people can settle into them. They can stay there and then go through these layers where they can get mm-hmm. to what you're talking about, nice. which is that's a really high level of awareness in a sense of being being aware of a sensation which leads to a thought, which you observe the thought, and then you ask yourself, where did that thought come from? And then now you're kind of into the root of that thought, and you're getting some kind of insight about, about mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's yoga in action. That's like that's mm-hmm. what yoga could actually do for us. It could go that deep. And when right. we practice it, you can do that. That moment yeah. can be pretty quick. You could be in a pose and get to that space pretty mm-hmm. quickly. But I think for a lot of folks coming to yoga, just managing their physical body right, right, right. when the teacher is barking out the command to to get into the next pose. Yeah, it, it's like it almost exactly. doesn't leave space for exactly. That. So the physical practice becomes a distraction. Exactly, like I was saying, and it covers up what's underneath it. It, is, it doesn't give you the opportunity to actually get to what's underneath it. It becomes a distraction, right? The next pose and the, doing the posture right, quote unquote, and getting the right shape becomes the obsession versus what's inside. What's the inner experience, which you you've been addressing over and over in these talks and yeah yeah i mean that's um that's a big that's a big big leap mm-hmm. a, a big leap to make but i think yeah. you know th- this is we talked about it i think in the what the fuck is yoga talk about how no matter what what form yoga takes there's this, there's this potency in these postures and in these breathing exercises and movements that that it almost is like there's a little voice that's 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 calling us to listen deeper. You know, there's something that wants us to to wake up and become more aware of subtle dimensions of ourselves when we do. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if we slow down and let let the yoga work within us, it calls our attention to these subtle aspects of ourselves, and we do get insight. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the heck that works. I mean, this is one of the aspects of yogic practices that is so brilliantly, it seems that it's it's like programmed in right. to these things. There's a right. transmission that happens just from the posture to the practitioner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it needs to be teased out. It needs room to breathe. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, it, we just get, right. it gets missed. Well, it, like you said, I think what you were talking about to me is about context, like laying the context for that kind of practice, like creating an environment, you know, curating the environment and the practice and the setting in such a way that it contributes to that. Like, how different would it be if people came into yoga and they were educated in the front desk or wherever, you know, through media even, like, hey, this practice is about working with your body to develop a healthier relationship with your body and mind and involves exploring your sensations and your experience through these myriad postures and breathing techniques. It involves creating concentration, an ability to stay with your experience, and creating and cultivating positive qualities in relationship to your experience. The physical practice is used in a way that perpetuates these qualities and increases your ability to be connected to your experience. So we practice slowly, we do less postures, and the focus is not to look this way or to attain the final quote-unquote shape of a posture. Rather, it's to allow for this organic unfolding and self-reflection to happen within the context of the experience. 
teacher will guide you in that experience. You know, it's like if that's what people come in with, right? right versus like, okay, I'm coming in the old class. I saw I'm going to shape my body like this by six weeks. So I'm going to do this particular set of classes. Right. And the teacher is going to put me in the body posture so I can look good and feel good. End of story. That's what it's about. Right. right. I mean, and then from going from there to what I just talked about, like I had to like sort of retrain people, right? Like you have to re-educate people in the context of the class, yeah. which can be very challenging. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had people walk out of class because right. they were expecting the kind of body sculpting right. class and that wasn't what I was teaching. And it was like, mm-hmm. shut up with all this awareness, you know, talk, <laughs> let's get to the next posture, you know, make right. me sweat more or whatever, make my, yeah. you know, abs burn. And it was like, that's not what they were looking for. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it's an interesting <laughs> Yeah. It's an interesting meeting of cultures. Right, right. And I mean, there's a place for using yoga as a means of exercise. Yeah. But it's like, in terms of just purely physical exercise, there are probably systems that can give you a sort of like a model body much quicker and safer than doing an right. hour and a half of yoga. Yeah, totally. I had a yoga uh, teacher trainer years ago that I was part of a program and he was saying the same thing. He was like, dude, there's more efficient ways of doing this. That's what you're after. If you want a body sculpt, go to the gym and get a trainer. Yeah. And like you said though, like legitimately it could be used for that. And I use it for that occasionally and stuff like that too. And there's nothing wrong with it intrinsically. But if we're talking about body image, right, which is the theme of this talk, and we're talking about what perpetuates body image issues, which are already so prevalent in our culture, the kind of self hatred and body obsession, especially with the obsession of the quote unquote, perfect body right and the fact that the current way that we're practicing yoga is often perpetuating that neuroses right that painful pattern and habit and how we can possibly change that then continuing to practice yoga in that way of being obsessed with the shape and form is not going to be the solution ultimately no yeah 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 (laughs) So it comes again back to, you know, so what is the solution? You know, it's like Mm -hmm. the solution is bringing awareness to it. The solution is shining light on it, having conversations Mm -hmm. about it, people writing articles about it, blogging about it, talking about it, and and bringing more and more attention to to ourselves as a yoga community, turning the camera on ourselves and and asking ourselves the hard questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where are we perpetuating the status quo and perpetuating a kind of patterning and where are we embodying something that's more wholesome, you know, as a community. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I really agree with everything you said. And it's the whole grumpy yoga thing, you know, grumpy yogi thing to me is what you're talking about. It's like, we're grumpy about legitimate issues that I think are issues, not because we're just grumpy people, (laughs) but because we care about these topics and because we think we need to talk about them and bring them up and address them so things can change for the positive. So people can have a more, you know, uplifting or healing experience. Right. And, and also because yoga has so much more to offer and we're just not often, you know, able to access that because of the context. And I just want to invite a lot of the listeners and, or, um, yoga teachers and students to all offer their perspectives on the topic too and to continue to have that conversation with each other and just com- you know comment on the on the feed if we're posting it on Facebook or on SoundCloud just let us know what your experience is and um, what your thoughts are and I know it's a little strange maybe even hearing this come from two male practitioners and teachers and I know you know women go through their whole whole experience maybe in the future we can have um, a female student and or teacher come on the show and talk about their experience too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, men do have, the last thing I want to say, maybe is just men have body image issues too. Like, oh yeah, I think it's totally yeah, and gender. I mean, it's it, just to be candid. I mean, I got into yoga originally and a, a good part of my inspiration, I mean, most of it was spiritual. Like I really was curious of yoga from a spiritual standpoint. But at a certain point, definitely there was a body obsession. You know, like I had body image issues. I didn't like my body. And yoga was a, a phenomenal way to start re-sculpting my body and changing my relationship to the body. You know, for years I did it in a way from a place of wanting to change my body. Mm. And But eventually, you know, it changed. You know, like I got to a point where I was like, you know, oh, wow, I see. Right? I see where this is coming from. 
I don't want to do this anymore to myself. I don't want to approach my practice from this place. And so I changed my orientation and just really did my best to stay aligned with my intention behind my practice and realign my intention. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just want to say that just to, just to give voice to the male experience in yoga and also in body image that I know a lot of men have body image issues and struggle with that too. And just even recently I had a conversation with, um, someone who works out a lot, you know, at the gym. And he was telling me about a lot of people he knew in the gym that were bodybuilders, you know, and people that I had seen there that had this, you know, amazingly well-sculpted bodies and how much of, you know, they, they had eating disorders. Mm -hmm. They had really severe body image issues and insecurities mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that. And I just want to give voice to that, that that exists too. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's for another time, but I mean, sort of pan gender as well. Like we're talking about mm -hmm. men and women, but gender identification and its relationship to the body that would uh, sort of from the masculine to feminine spectrum right and where people feel naturally they they exist in that spectrum also has a has a place in their relationship to how they relate to their body in terms of yoga right because you know we see a polarization of like the hyper feminized you know beautiful yogi yogini mm, and mm -hmm, then the sort mm -hmm, of masculine mm -hmm. ideal of the yogi is like you know, slender, super muscular, you know, cool dude. Right. And, and if you don't fit one of those hyper, you know, masculinized yeah. or feminized yoga kind of um, pigeonholes, right. then there might be body issue and gender kind mm -hmm. of questioning. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I feel like that's another, you know, maybe a bigger topic to talk about, yeah. but having fluidity and mobility across gender and across body mm -hmm. shape and function spectrums mm -hmm. and being loving and accepting and compassionate totally. toward ourselves and each other is really uh is really what's yeah i like that needed. like creating a compassionate and loving safe space for people to explore their relationship to their body right how can we create that right i mean that's a great question i'm, I'm really curious to hear what people have you know yeah. in terms of ideas in terms of tangible yeah, yeah solutions like, ideas what can happen in in the real circumstance of yoga classes or yoga workshops mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'd be really interested if people have ideas of how how that could be actually tangibly created created yeah cool okay yes. ongoing discussion yes see we'll you next come Censored.